0: But France virtually invented with Germany, the European Union, the
1: original EEC. I, I don't agree with this idea of a tip in populism. It will still grow if we don't address the concerns of people who feel rejected.
2: So the National Front has been in French politics for quite some time. And so it wasn't a new phenomenon like the Trump train. Like
1: here, you know, we are, we are the same. So you, you, you can't just put a wall around France. That, that wouldn't work.
3: This is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Brian Hansen, and today we're discussing the French presidential election, both the final round, which will be on Sunday, May 7th, as well as uh, talking about what this election means for France, Europe, and Western democracy more generally. Today, I'm here with the Council General of France in Chicago, Vincent Floriani. Welcome. Thank you. I also have Dina Smeltz, who's a polling expert and the Council's Senior Fellow for Public Opinion and Foreign Policy. Welcome, Dina. Thank you. And the third person I have with me is Dick Longworth, who's Distinguished Fellow for Global Cities and the Chicago Tribune's former Chief European Correspondent. It's good to have you here, Dick. Brian, good to be here. So I want to start off uh, with the French election and the state of play right now. As as people may know, uh, France has a two-round presidential election process. In the first round, lots of people run. And if no one gets 50% of the vote, uh, then there is a runoff between the top two candidates. And right now, we're in the period between the first round and the second round. Uh, And the two uh, candidates in the second round, Emmanuel uh, Macron, and Marine Le Pen are the two who are running, and as this time one of the things that's unique about this election is no candidate from one of the major parties is a is a candidate here. So I was wondering um, uh, to start with you, Council General, if you could talk about who are these two candidates, what and and what do they represent? Uh, Emmanuel Macron is a newcomer.
1: He was previously an advisor to President Hollande and then a minister of finance and in the economy in the Holland a government. But he just started his political party, on Marche, one year ago. So he's really a newcomer. He stands for an economic liberal and a social liberal. While Marine Le Pen, she's the daughter of Jean-Marie Le Pen, he created this extreme right party 45 years ago. They have been in politics for decades. Uh, she's Anti Europe, she is sort of at the head of a xenophobic party.
3: And when you talk about Macron being liberal that's in a different sense than we usually use it in the United States right so for in the French context what does it mean to be a liberal what are some of those policies
1: well yeah i noticed that that uh, it's uh, it's a bad word in both uh, in both countries you know <laughs> being a liberal is not is not seen as good but uh, i mean it means that uh, he is Emmanuel Macron is for um, is pro business actually He's pro business uh, with social uh, safety net safety nets. Uh, and socially also is for freedom for people. So it's both. Often in France, you have one or the other. You know, there's the right being more uh, liberal in terms of the economy and the left being more liberal in terms of social rights. And Macron is both.
2: And he's very committed to the European Union and he,
1: You're right. He's very committed to the European Union. He wants to reinforce the European Union uh, to have a um, uh, s- uh, single uh, Minister of Finance for
3: the European Union. What are some of the other main issues? So one is is Europe, and what is Marine Le Pen's position on Europe? What would she like to do? She would like
1: ultimately to leave the euro, uh, the, the, the common currency, and then to leave the European Union. She she says that the European Union is the cause of all the difficulties French people experience.
0: But France virtually invented with Germany
1: the European Union, the original
0: EEC. France was in that founding. This is more than Brexit with a late-coming Britain pulling out. Um, With France pulling out, one of the cornerstones
1: of the entire EU disappears you're right um, after centuries of wars among among the europeans uh, it was the reconciliation first between france and germany and then the creation in the in the 50s of the european union that led to 70 years of prosperity and peace um, and france if france uh, was to, to withdraw from the european union that would be the end of the of the european union i think
2: i was noticing in pew public opinion surveys that Only 38 percent of the French have a positive view of the European Union today, and that's lower than Britain's have. Um, And then we know what happened with the Brexit. I was just curious, what do you think caused that? It's been a decline over time.
1: For a long time. people in power of in France have blamed the European Union for some difficulties instead of saying you know we need to reform in that in that area or in th- that other area so this is one reason but following Brexit more and more people in Europe support the European Union and I think that sixty-seven uh, percent of French people are against leaving the European Union. So they may see all the you know the, the things that the European Union needs to improve, but they, they, see they, still, as well. they still see the benefits. You're right. Yeah.
3: So in in our election here in this country, some of the key issues were immigration, or were, were jobs. Um, what are the what are the key issues driving the French election? I think you have
1: exactly the same uh, the same issues. Right. Um, people who live, who are less educated, uh, working class, living in rural areas, far from the decision centers, uh, see that, uh, see, yeah, see that the, uh, the system does not work well for them, and they tend to support candidates who are there to uh, to change the system. So uh, I th- my feeling is that it was a bit the same here in the in the U.S.
0: It was exactly—I was fascinated to see that Macron comes from Amiens, up in Picardy, and he was there recently, uh, largely because a whirlpool plant in Amiens is about to close. Um, Two towns in the Midwest, Newton, Iowa, and Galesburg, Illinois, were solidly Democratic, and both in this last election went for Trump, and in both towns, whirlpool plants had just closed.
1: All right. Yeah, I didn't know that connection with Whirlpool,
0: but yeah, it yeah. was a surprise. This is, yeah. Yeah, but but yeah. It's, it's the yeah. same same force, mm-hmm. almost, with the mm-hmm. same nameplate on the door that's yeah. uh, that's driving this.
2: The Whirlpool factor.
3: <laughs> so in that, one of the distinctions that's frequently called out in the U.S. election is the distinction between the major cities and the, the surrounding regional areas. Uh, as we look at the supporters for Le Pen and Macron, does it map similarly in urban areas versus rural areas, or is it somewhat different than it is here?
1: I think this is about this, the same uh, we experienced three divides in the first round of the French presidential elections. One is between the large cities and the rural municipalities. And in France, the poll stations closed earlier in the rural areas. so as the, the votes were coming in, Le Pen was uh, leading, and at about 10.30 in the evening, uh, Macron s- started to overtake as the results from the large cities came in. So that's one divide. Th- the second divide is between uh, people with a high education and uh, hi- higher higher class, I would say compared to people with l- that are less educated and uh, are working working class or, or live in uh, working in the rural areas. And the third divide was between the northeastern, part of France, which is a bit like the Rust Belt here, and a large band around the Mediterranean Sea that has historically been in support of uh,
3: the the National Front, this extreme right party. And Dina, you've done polling on these issues in the U.S. Dick, you've done reporting and writing on this. How does that compare to the divides in the U.S. electorate? Um,
2: well, in terms, yeah, and geographically we saw an urban-rural split, and the cosmopolitan cities went for Hillary Clinton and um, the more rural Rust Belt areas that have been hit by deindustrialization went for Donald Trump. So that part's um, very similar. Also, people who have a poor view of immigration and who feel that their area is experiencing uh, lagging economic growth tended. to to vote for Donald Trump, just like in, uh, the, for the votes for Le Pen. So we did, we did see some um, commonalities in that.
0: The post-election maps of France, <clears throat> not exactly like that here, but very similar. In other words, rather large sweeps of territory that went strongly or for favored Le Pen, smaller sections of territory that went for um, <coughs> Macron, sort of like the vast red areas in this country with a few blue dots in the middle. But it's the, the centers of population like Paris, where I believe Le Pen got less than
1: 5% of the vote, um, or, or what carried Macron over. You're right. In Paris, Macron uh, got 35% of the vote and uh, Le Pen less than 5%. In the Midwest, talking about education, the French people uh, gave more than 50% to to Macron and less than 5% to to Le Pen. So the French expatriates in the Midwest uh, voted uh, in in that that way.
0: The split is really amazing in both countries. That's, I mean, we've always had sort of an urban-rural split, you know, differences in, economic outlook. But in both countries, this seems to be getting worse, more dramatic, more divisive.
2: (coughs) Yeah, and Um, the Brexit as well. The Brexit also maps similarly with the rural areas versus cosmopolitan London.
1: But in the Brexit, you had the age factor, which is not so strong in in France in the French election. In the Brexit was really, I mean, I may be wrong, but I think the all all people being for Brexit and young people being for remain...
2: Yes. Well, what I saw from the French um, returns, which is actually just from polling by Ipsos, was Mm -hmm. that what's interesting is from in the U.S., the young people tended to either vote for Hillary or abstain because they really liked Bernie Sanders, and in your election, Mélenchon was sort of the French Bernie Sanders, so he was the top favorite among those 18 to 24, but Marine Le Pen was second, mm-hmm. right, with 21%. Yeah. So um, there's a little bit of a difference there um, in terms of how young people voted.
3: And why do you think that is, that the young people uh, broke differently than they did in the United States or in the in the Brexit vote? Is that, Are they facing... Uh, different sets of problems which makes uh, make a candidate like that more attractive, or how do you understand that? I think there is
1: that i mean it's more difficult for them to get a job It's not as easy as it was you know uh, beef you know in the in the seventies sixties seventies. Another reason is that they don't they don't uh, they don't have any memory of what Europe brought to uh, the stability and prosperity of, of Europe. All people who experience the rise of Nazism and uh, fascism, the Second World War, they, they did not support Le Pen. So th- they understand why it is important you know, to have this sort of uh, uh, moderation. Uh, the young people don't have that. So they, these are these two reasons.
0: This but is I, rather disturbing. In the, um, <clears throat> when um, Le Pen's father, Ran against Jacques Chirac in the election. 2002. 2002, and the vote was so one-sided, 80%, the entire nation pretty much ganged up on Jean-Marie Le Pen to defeat him. Uh, Now, of course, no matter what happens next Sunday, the vote is going to be much more close. And if you have young people feeling this way, uh, Marine Le Pen may lose next Sunday. But obviously, she or what she represents is not going to go away.
2: Yeah, it depends on turnout. But one thing I wanted to just go back to the young people is that I think with Macron, you could see him both ways. So, yes, a year ago or nearly a year ago, he started a new movement because he said the old system wasn't working. And so if a young person is looking for an alternative He was with the socialists. He was a minister, right, Mm -hmm. with the Hollande government before. So, yes, it might be a new movement, but they might still see him as part of the establishment. So I can see where he wouldn't quite measure up to a Mélenchon type of outsider. Mm
0: -hmm. It's very interesting to see, I think, as you mentioned, how this is scrambling the party, scrambling our definitions of left and right, Mm -hmm. is suddenly the right wing is representing the workers. And the left wing is representing the business side. And you certainly saw that sort of scrambling in our recent presidential election. We still have our two major parties there. Your two major parties seem almost to have disappeared to become irrelevant. And um, I wonder if that's what's going to happen here if we have to start
1: inventing new parties. Perhaps, I mean, yes, in France you see four main movements. You know, on the left, there is the extreme left, and some that are more liberal would be like sort of uh, uh, Tony Blair kind of people. And on the, on the right, the same. You have the extreme right and the center right. Here I was wondering if it's not the same in the US because the, the Republicans are divided between what perhaps the, f- the, co- the Freedom Caucus, and more moderate uh, Republican. And uh, on the left, you know, the supporters of Sanders and the, the rest of the uh, Democrats. So I was wondering if in not all the Western world, you don't know, have these four, you know, four groups of, uh, of people appearing uh, to replace the, the two major center left and center right parties we used to experience.
0: There are almost three Republican parties now. Maybe. The traditional <laughs> Republican party, the Tea Party, and Donald Trump. Yeah. One wonders how long that can hold together.
2: Do you think the uh, dividing line is now more about globalism versus nationalism, or do you see that mapping?
1: I think that plays a a great role, um, this, uh, you know, people that have openness versus those that are are nationalistic against the others, xenophobic. I think it it appears a lot. And it's often linked uh, to a lack of uh, knowledge, a lack of uh, education, Uh, but also because for many decades here in France, we just uh, did not listen to the people that were suffering because of globalization and uh, technical progress. So jobs, they they were losing their jobs, were not paying paying attention. So I think we're partly responsible for that.
3: One of the things that I found really interesting in watching the debate uh, in this period between the two rounds has been the, the, the move that Macron has made about making a distinction between nationalism and patriotism, right? Patriotism being something that's good and nationalism being something that's bad. Could you talk a little bit about what how he's describing that distinction and whether or not you think it's resonating with the people in France?
1: I think one is excluding the others. It's not not wanting to work with the others. Uh, and the other one is liking your country but working with the rest of the world. This, this is the way he's putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the nationalism
3: being kind of exclusionary exactly yeah and the patriotism being it's kind like, of it's all of us right exactly
1: all. liking your country yes yeah uh, this is the way he describes it. He, he needs to – I mean, he cannot you know, be a globalist. Uh, he needs to say that he likes France. I think he likes uh, his country. Uh, but he needs to explain that uh, while he likes his country, he likes to work with the others because that's, that reinforces France.
3: Yeah. Do we see anything similar developing in U.S.? debates or public opinion that draws a similar kind of distinction?
0: Not really. The nationalist <clears throat> and patriotic winks seem to go together. These are the natural Trump voters who see an American economy, a national economy, as opposed to a global economy, and who are also... You know, they tend to be more of the flag wavers, and they uh, tend to insist on strong borders. They're anti-immigration and more in favor of strong security at the borders. <clears throat> and in this context, the idea of patriotism in America for Americans and America first tends to merge together in a way that uh, France seems to have be able to separate.
2: Yeah, I think it maybe it just you'd have to have more nuance because it would depend on security. I could see somebody being a patriot and still saying, but we need to be part of the global system because that's what enriches the, the US economy or we still need to have allies and alliances because that helps the United States um keep stability in the world and other countries aren't willing to do it. So I can see I think it's a it's a little more complicated. No, than no. Well, I
0: mean that's certainly a convincing intellectual argument, but emotionally, <clears throat> I think uh, the nationalism and the patriotism seem to have been been mixed up it here, can, possibly in a way that have not been so mixed up in France.
2: I think, and the slogan "Make America Great Again." It's pretty hard to come up with something as rousing uh, as, you, you know. So it's sort of hard to. To fight the America first, what do you say, Nagno No, America second. I mean, <laughs> <you know. laughs> so
3: um, although I suppose there's a debate about how you make America great, right? different views of that, right? Which is what I think is really interesting about the French debate is we see these populism movements um, arise and and politicians try to contest them. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about this tactic is really embrace, say, the state. And the country—that's what I'm for, right? The nationalists are actually not for right. the state; they're not for um, for our country. And I think it's really interesting to to watch this play out and see if it's echoed other places, like some of the techniques that populism, the populists, have adapted, have kind of copied and mimicked each other. And I'm wondering if we'll see any room for this. I want to go back to the, to the French election and the next round um, on May 7th. And the opinion polls, as far as I've seen, have been relatively stable, with Macron getting about 60% of the vote and Le Pen getting 40% of the vote. Um, what's your, your view? Is that what we should expect? Um, or could there be a surprise like there was in Brexit, like there was in the US election?
1: nothing should be taken for granted. It's democracy and anything can happen. The risk in France is a low turnout that would make uh, Marine Le Pen win inadvertently. People feeling that Macron's going to win, not going to vote. Like what happened maybe in Madison or other Mm. places, or you know, uh, Milwaukee. You know, and uh, so we don't have the same system, but that could happen. She could win if there, w- if there was a low turnout, because that would be a low turnout of people supporting Macron. So there is this risk, but I mean, it's m- likely that uh, Macron will win. What's important would be the margin also. As was said before, in 2002, Chirac won with almost 85% of the votes against uh, Le Pen's father. Uh, this time, if Macron wins with 60%, it's good. He will have a good momentum for the, pal- the elections to the parliament. If he wins but by only 5%, it will be difficult.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, um, has the American election and Donald Trump's victory had any impact? I mean, the uh, his rise to the presidency really has sent shockwaves around the world. And I am assuming these shockwaves have been felt in France too.
1: Has there been an impact, positive or negative, there? Uh, did it play a role in the French elections? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think Brexit played a greater role in the French elections because uh, French people saw that, you know, British people didn't get overnight what they wanted. On the contrary, it seems to be sort of chaos there. And the support for European Union grew in France and the rest of Europe uh, after Brexit.
3: Interesting. Terrific. I want to go to the polling data again because one of the things that was really striking about the first round of the French elections is the pollsters got it right. After being beat up for missing on Brexit, for, for not getting the Trump election right, this appears to be an election that they were able to call. How, why is that, um, that, that this one was so much more accurate, and, and is that going to carry on into the future?
2: I can just say for this poll, um, yes, the French pollsters were uh, almost within a point of of the way that each of the candidates came in and they did a great job they I know that after Brexit they were focusing on um, especially first-time voters and they had also a, a lot of the pollsters had put some online surveys in as well in case there were any shy Marine Le Pen voters but there's a couple things also um so the national front has been in french politics for quite some time and so it wasn't a new phenomenon like the trump train Um, so they have been taking it seriously for a while and the margins of error in past polls um, about voting intentions um, weren't any different than for any other mainstream party so they had that um, advantage but also the um, America so a lot of people are saying oh the polls failed in brexit they failed in the US but they were right in the the French election pollsters can finally celebrate but actually in the brexit vote and with Trump versus Clinton the margins were only 2% in the in the polls and actually the nationwide poll Polls average in the United States, was the margin was actually smaller. So actually, they actually got it even more correctly than the French polls. But, of course, in the U.S., we have the electoral college, and so that takes a lot of forecasting, and a lot of state polls have to be measured into that. So that's where the U.S. polls got it wrong. So we just needed to make that point um, as well. But in terms of the 60-40 margin, it's a healthy one it was 26 percentage points difference um, about two weeks ago um, that gave a little more of a confidence to say that macron would win so i think it's good to be careful um but as dick pointed out earlier the betting markets are also saying that uh macron will win by i forget what the odds were i think pretty dif- pretty side one to eight yeah. and for her it was 15 to two um, and in the last nine elections, since they have a two-round uh, system, six out of nine times it goes to the incumbent. So there's a lot of things pointing to his favor. If
3: politics is a horse race, go with the odds makers. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk just a little bit about what happens after the election. And one of the things that, that's striking and maybe a parallel in the United States, too, is that in France, both, neither of these candidates come from the traditional party. And as we've seen with Donald Trump, even though he ran as a Republican but didn't come out of the Republican establishment, um, he's had some challenges working with the legislature in order to get his own, uh, his own agenda across. Um, what do you think might happen in, in France if there, you know, whoever wins isn't necessarily going to have a, or a strong set of party support in parliament? Is that going to affect their ability to govern?
1: Yes. Uh, we have a semi-presidential uh, regime in France, so there's a strong president, and uh, the, the the regime is meant for the president to have a strong government to support him. Uh, but in the pa- I, I mean, and the, go- the the head of the government, the prime minister, is the same color as the majority in the parliament. But happened already uh, twice uh, that the. Prime Minister was different than the President. That was cohabitation, we call cohabitation. So the President is left with foreign affairs and defense and uh, uh, the Prime Minister governs. So it's very difficult for the President to implement his program. It's rather the Prime Minister implementing his program. Um, usually however, uh, there is a sort of momentum for the party uh, that has just won the presidential election. So if Macron wins, with a strong margin. He will go to uh, the pr- p- elections to the parliament with a momentum. And is compatible with many people on the center-left and the center-right. So before the election, he can, he can get support from them or work with them after the election in a coalition. For Marine Le Pen, it's more difficult. Uh, she's isolated. Uh, she received the support of one party uh, a nationalist party, uh, uh, a candidate that made 5% of the votes. It's unprecedented, but it's going to be very difficult for her to find supporters for, before the elections and even after people who will accept to, to work for her.
0: But given that, and especially given the fact that France is deeply embedded in Europe and deeply embedded in the world and the global economy, Could she really pull France out of, say, the EU, or raise the drawbridge against globalization? Isn't France (coughs) just simply too tied in to these structures to
1: be removed? I I agree with you. It's going to be even if she wins, and if she gets a majority or a coalition in the in the parliament, it's going to be very difficult because French people are attached to uh, Europe. They are attached to the euro. They like it. Uh, Despite Despite the, you know, some some summer, summer, some difficulties, uh, they like to travel. They like to buy uh, foreign products, like here. You know, we, we are we are the same. So you, you, you can't just put a wall around France. That that wouldn't work.
3: As we close, I'd like to ask each of you um, how you view this particular moment in time, and if the polls come right are are proven right and macron wins we no doubt will hear narratives of the tide has turned uh the the populist backlash has been stemmed we had a a netherlands victory in which uh uh, wilders didn't come to power we've got this um this outcome in france um is that the right conclusion would that be the right conclusion to draw or is this conflict something that is, is more durable
1: I think, no, it's not the end of populism. Uh, I think we have to uh, look at uh, the worries of people who feel they are rejected by the system are the losers of globalization and technical progress. If we don't do that, Marine Le Pen will win in five years uh, next presidential elections. So I don't think, you know, this—I uh, I don't agree with this idea of a tip in populism. I think it's, it will still grow if we don't address the concerns of people uh, who feel rejected.
0: I think we've—if <clears throat> uh, Macron wins, uh, we've won a little breathing time. Uh, maybe people are pulling back from the brink a bit. But as the Council General says, we still have to acknowledge the pressures out there. At the same time, it is up to, I think I speak for people around the table, you know, we favor uh, active participation in globalization and in the global economy. We favor an openness to the world. We favor Western liberal values. Edward Luce, who's a frequent speaker here at the council, has a new book out saying that these values, this Western system after centuries, is really under danger, not only from populism, but from the challenges of China and Russia (coughs) and the illiberal uh, democracy advocates and so it is up to all of us to figure out some way, and figure it out pretty quick, um, how to defend these values while at the same time acknowledging the real pain, as you say, that is out there.
2: And I agree with what both you said. I also, um, it does seem that today's movements are uh, have been building um, since the, the '90s with the anti-globalization protests, and then we had Occupy. Um, Wall Street and even the Tea Party came out of a dissatisfaction with politics as it is. And so sometimes it seems to be in a cycle, but maybe it's just that those movements have been squashed and then things go back to normal politics. But yeah, I think this, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away or at least it's spreading to a a larger territory. But the, the thing that concerns me is exactly what you said, that... We have to pay attention to these people who lose their jobs or are in a difficult economic situation, areas that are losing industry or there just is no economic activity except for robots. Um, And I don't see any big plans or good, solid plans for how you address people's employment and well-being when there's only going to be continued automation and, and, uh, you know, I don't see anything changing to get, we're not going to get all the jobs back, even though people promise them. So I, that is what worries me that I don't see any answers to that. And that's clearly the lesson learned from all of these elections.
3: So one of the advantages of having a weekly podcast is that as events unfold, we'll be able to revisit them. I want to thank all three of you for, for being here, Council General, Dina, Dick. It was a terrific uh, and I think very helpful conversation for us to, under, to help us understand what's going on and how to interpret it in the long term as well. Thank you, listeners, for turning in to this episode of Deep Dish on Global Affairs. Please note that the opinions you heard today are those of the people who expressed them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. If you like the show, please take a moment and give us a review. Your review will help promote a broader understanding of global issues and also help others find our show. You can find our show under Deep Dish on Global Affairs in iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and also on the council's website at thechicagocouncil.org. I'm Brian Hanson, and we'll be back soon for another Slice of Deep
2: Dish.